Good morning, everybody. If you guys don't know me, my name's Tony. Uh, somebody called me Pastor Tony this morning. I guess I'm getting used to that. But uh, Tony Harden, I'm the discipleship minister uh, here at the church. And uh, it's been a busy couple weeks. Uh, it's been a busy weekend. I know Randy uh, married off his youngest daughter. Beautiful uh, ceremony. Yeah, that's... My wife and I tried to take a vacation uh, last week, and uh, we hooked up with somebody named Alberto down in South Florida, and he was pretty clingy because he followed us home. And uh, so we apologize uh, for that. Uh, really had nothing to do with it, but uh, we enjoyed uh, a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of weather, uh, and had some fun. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, when I was 16. And, you know, I think most of us can probably remember the first car that we ever drove. And uh, for me, it was a 1969 Ford Bronco. And this was in 1982 when I was 16 years old, so uh, I'm dating myself here. Uh, but this Bronco that I had, even back then, it was completely worn out. I mean, the primary color of it was Bondo. And uh, it, it had these thick fabric straps on the doors that would stop the door from swinging all the way around. But the post that held those straps on was, uh, had long since rusted out. And so if, if you let go of the handle, when you open the door, it would flip all the way around and smack the fender. And so I had this little dent where the handle kept hitting the, the fender when I would let go of the door. And so this one, it was pretty rough. And, and the front end was shot on it. So if you, if you got up over like maybe... I didn't date a lot in high school. I really didn't. But when I did take a girl out in my, my truck, I would always kind of chart a route where you never had to, to go over 35 miles an hour because, let's face it, this just doesn't impress the girls that much at all. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Preach. And so it's amazing how you remember that stuff. But one specific, it wasn't a very happy event that happened to me when I first got my license. Um, I remember my mother, we lived close to this little country stores, Clyde White's Grocery. I'll never forget that. And uh, just this little white frame building, it doesn't exist anymore. It's long since gone. Uh, but my mother would always send me to, to pick stuff up for us, about a mile away from the house. And I know before I got my license, I hated going to the store for my mom. Back then, we didn't have those neat plastic bags with handles, right? And so I had to lug this paper bag on the bicycle, and it was a balancing act. I hated going to the store uh, for my mom. But whenever I got my license, man, I, I couldn't wait because that gave me an excuse to drive. And uh, so I remember one specific time I was driving, and uh, I, I figured, you know, I can milk this out. If I take the long way around, I can get a little extra uh, driving experience for myself. And uh, so I did that. I, I milked it out. I drove the long way around. And uh, as I was coming close to the store, I was getting close to it, there's this, this intersection that you had to go through. And it was this, uh, this hill that we had called Clearfield Hill. This little community I lived in was called Clearfield. And as I was crossing that intersection, there's no stop signs there, nothing like that. I was in the intersection, and just out of the corner of my eye, I caught something coming at me. And I looked over, and it's this kid on a 10-speed bike. And, and I, I realized he's trying to beat me. And folks, he didn't make it. 
as he was as he was coming through the turn, he was laying his bicycle down. And you know, there's some images that you have etched in your mind that you'll never forget. And this image that I had, the one that I will never forget as long as I live, is him laying the bike down and disappearing under the window of my passenger side door. And then I felt a big thump under the wheels of this truck. And I remember my first thought was, I just killed a kid. I really did. I thought, this is it. I, I killed a kid. And uh, so I get out. I, I open the door. Of course, it flips around and it hits the fender. And, and, I, and I run around the front of the, the, the truck. And uh, I look under the wheels. And there under the wheels is a mangled up 10-speed bicycle. And uh, so I look up from this, this mess that I'm looking at. And there's a kid, a 10 or 11-year-old kid standing there just standing there looking at me. And I was shocked. I, I, I wasn't expected to see that. And so what I, I dusted him off. I started talking to him. And uh, what had happened is, is the back wheel had went under my truck. And somehow this kid had jumped off of his bike and landed on his feet. And now, folks, back then I probably didn't register that as a miracle. But that was God's miracle. Think about that, how it could have affected that young man's life. Think of how that could have changed the direction of my life altogether. And so I thank God for, for that miracle today. Obviously, I haven't forgot about it. It's been a long time ago. But, but that's not the end of the story. As I was driving, I took the kid home. He just lived a couple blocks up the hill, and, and he was real worried about his bicycle, and his parents weren't home. And so I drove home, and on the way home, I was thinking, i got to tell my dad about this. And, you know, for a second, I thought, nobody will know. He won't, he'll never know. But then, you know, I would like to say that I thought that I needed to tell my dad this because it was the right thing to do. But honestly, we lived in a community of about 80 people. I mean, he was going to find out, right? And so I, so I go home, and I tell him, and the first thing I got was scolded because he said, you know, you were somewhere you shouldn't have been. If you had just taken the direct route, this would have never happened. And, you know, I couldn't really argue with that logic at the time. And so we went to this. He said, we've got to go see these, this boy's parents. We've got to go talk to him. And I didn't like that we in the statement because I, I didn't want to go. I just wanted this behind me but he said no we're, we're gonna go talk to him and so we did we talked to to the to the dad and uh you know all was kind of forgiven we we worked out how to pay for the bicycle and uh on the way home i remember my dad telling me uh you know we did that because it's the right thing to do uh because it's the righteous thing to do i never thought of that in that terms that those words i'm sorry i'm having a little bit of difficulty with my notes here uh, trying to get those to come up. But uh, so he said that was the right thing to do. It was the righteous thing to do. And so uh, he was always kind of trying to teach me those lessons. And I think that was something that obviously I never forgot uh, because it was something that we needed to do. It was the right thing to do, the righteous thing to do. Um, and so we're going to continue on in this sermon series called Like Jesus. And again, we do like Jesus, but the whole point of this sermon is to help equip and encourage all of you to be more like Jesus. And so just, just to kind of recap, I know we're going to be preaching. We've been preaching this from John chapter 17, what's known as the high priestly prayer. 
And uh, we've been talking about these words that Jesus uh, said during this prayer. And I kind of set the scene a couple of weeks ago when I preached last. And I want to just quickly review that again. We know that Jesus has just left the, the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, and he was heading down this road towards what's called the water gate inside the, the, the gates of uh, Jerusalem. If you want to put that picture up, I have that again uh, for you. This, again, is a model uh, in uh, Jerusalem at the, uh, the Israeli Museum. The upper room is thought to be about right there. And this little road is the path that Jesus would have took down close to the Pool of Siloam, where it would be the water gate. He walked across the Kidron Valley. He stops in a vineyard, and he teaches the, the story, of the, the lesson of the vines and the branches. And then he prays for his disciples, this, this John 17 prayer that we've been studying uh, for some time. And so after teaching this vine and the branches, he prays this prayer, and he uses these seven I statements, these seven words that we've been hanging on for the last several weeks. I know Randy began that sermon series uh, with the word reveal. That Jesus said, God revealed himself to me and I have revealed God to you when he's talking to his followers and his disciples. And then he said, God gave me the words and I spoke them in to your lives. And then he said, I prayed for my disciples. I protected my disciples. And he said, last week Randy talked about the fact that he said, I sent them into the world. He sends us into the world just like he sends his disciples. Today, we're going to be talking about a very weighty word. He said, I sanctified myself so that my disciples can be sanctified by the truth. And then finally, he says, he glorified God and God glorified him. And I think Jesus shared all these things uh, and he gave these to us as tools they're kind of really good habits uh, to develop if, as we go on our business about making disciples that make disciples. And so Jesus uh, said last week, uh, if you want to turn to John chapter 17 when Randy was talking about it, uh, in verse 18 he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And today we're going to be looking at verse 19 where he said, I sanctified myself for them so that they may be sanctified by the truth. And so this word that we're going to talk about today is sanctify. That's, that's kind of a heavy word, right? I mean, it, it's kind of a big word. What does it mean? What does sanctify mean? Well, it means, if you look at uh, Webster's Dictionary, it, it says that it's to set apart or to consecrate or to purify. And so what Jesus was saying is, I'm setting, I set myself apart so that my disciples can be set apart, set apart by the truth so that they can be sanctified, so that they can be purified. But you know that word in our culture today, sanctify, I think some people see that maybe as a negative. I mean, the word sanctimonious is a word that we use to describe people who think they're holier than thou. And all. You know, it, it almost, when I hear it, sometimes I think that we've kind of twisted it into something uh, that's bad. But the bottom line is, folks, is that God does call us to holiness. God calls us to purity. I mean, he does. There's no doubt about that. He calls us to choose purity when there's impurity all around us. And we can't achieve perfection on this side of eternity. But, folks, we can live a life that seeks out 
purity and seeks out sanctification. And I think that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. You know, our mission here at the church, uh, Jake mentioned it, you hear a lot of us say this, is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And we want to do that because we want all of you to love God with all of your heart and to love people like you love yourself and to make disciples that make disciples. In other words, we want, we want all of us to become what God calls us to be, and then we want to equip you to duplicate that into other people in your lives, other people in your circle of influence, whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it be coworkers. We have to first, though, make disciples of ourselves. We first have to become what God calls us to be. So what is Jesus saying when he says, I sanctified myself? What does he mean by that? I think we can find the answer uh, that leads us to that in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 9, verse 13, where the author said, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they can be outwardly clean. In other words, it's God, it was God's plan that the shedding of blood is what it took for purity and sanctification. It's what it took for forgiveness. And in John 17, Jesus is saying that he sanctified and purified himself for the sake of his disciples. And Jesus says that during this prayer, and I believe that's kind of the rabbi coming out in Jesus. Because see, the rabbi who made these sacrifices on an annual basis, basis for the atonement of sins for everybody, he had to go through a ritual. He had to go through a purification and a cleansing ritual so that he could be a clean servant who could make these sacrifices on behalf of everyone else. And here Jesus is saying, just before he's going to cross the Kidron Valley and lay his life down, that he sanctified and purified himself as that final sacrifice. So in a beautiful way, Jesus is dedicating himself just as the rabbi dedicated himself for the, for the sins just before he was about to be that ultimate sacrifice. Because he was the ultimate high priest. He is the ultimate, high, the ultimate high priest. And he lived a life of dedication and accomplished what God called him to do. Jesus' life was, was a perfect life of dedication and sinlessness. And he became that, that lamb for us. Paul said in the book of Romans, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The life of Jesus saves us because of his perfect obedience. Paul says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and was obedient to the cross, even death on the cross. See, I think what Paul is saying is that Jesus... Uh, was obedient, and he chose obedience, and he did that for our sake. Jesus sanctified himself. He set himself apart, uh, and he set himself apart from the world as a man. You know, when he was, uh, he, he was obedient to his Father in his sending, when God sent him to this earth, Jesus was obedient and was born into the earth. When Jesus was a boy, he chose to be obedient to his parents. When Jesus in this little hill town of Nazareth of, 
of just a few hundred people, when, when they rejected him, Jesus remained obedient. He was obedient when everyone rejected him. You know, his, whether it was his own people, his brothers and sisters, his own brothers and sisters uh, alienated him at one point in his life. But Jesus remained obedient. He lived a perfect life of sanctification, and he was dedicating himself to doing only what pleased God. That's the one constant you can say. There's many constants, but the main thing is that Jesus did nothing except what pleased the Father. And he set the example for us. He became that perfect sacrifice, that lamb without a blemish, who John the Baptist said would take away the sins of the world. See, in the beginning, man was placed in a sinless world. And he, he chose disobedience. Jesus was born into a sinful world, but he only chose obedience to the Father. And it's because of that choice that he became the perfect lamb, that sacrifice for the atonement of our sins. He did that for our sake, for yours and for mine. He was given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he pours that out on us liberally. And the book of Romans says this. I've really kind of let this pass through so many times, but it says, For just as through the disobedience of one man all were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man we have all been made righteous. Now, folks, I don't know what you think about that, but that's hope in my mind. That gives us hope in a hopeless world. But I want to be blunt about something. When we go to reproduce ourselves and other people, we are only going to reproduce what we are. And so that's why we have to work on this, this whole idea of seeking purity in ourselves. You know, in the, the book of Genesis, it says this, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetables, seed-bearing plants and trees, on the land that bear fruit and seed in it according to their various kind, and it was so. You know, God could have set things up any way that he wanted to do. He could have uh, had apple trees that produced oranges. He could have had cows that gave birth to, to chickens. He could have had wheat that, that grew corn, but he didn't do that. That's not the way Jesus uh, set things up. You multiply after your own kind. And so you multiply what you are. And what I mean is, his perfect light paid for our sins. And so if we want to reflect that, that's how we multiply other people. Because in God's eyes, we're righteous. In God's eyes, we are as righteous as his son. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? But it's true. It's not of anything that we did, but it's what his son did for us. Because of that, he sees us as righteous when we accept him as our Lord and our Savior. Jesus' message is clear. He said, for them I sanctify myself so that they could be sanctified. Jesus sanctified himself so that we can be sanctified and pure and holy. But just for a second, I want to kind of rewind this story a little bit. And I want to direct you to the book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. Uh, bear with me because this is kind of a long uh, verse. 
It says this, For from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and said, No, Lord, that will never happen to you. And Jesus uh, said, turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human things. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple and deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. This particular event, when Jesus is making these statements, happened about nine months before the crucifixion. And so about nine months before that, uh, and just before this, Jesus had learned about the, the, the execution of his cousin John. And Jesus, his response to that was to go to a lonely place on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he prayed for nine hours. He prayed all night. And some people think that that's when God had revealed the ultimate plan to him. Because it's after this point that Jesus starts to predict his own uh, death. However he became aware of it, it's at this point that Jesus starts to do that. And so he took his disciples away, uh, way up north, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And uh, that's on the northern border of Israel, uh, just south of Syria. And this is a terribly pagan place in Jesus' time. I've got a picture here. This is the, the ruins. I took this picture of the ruins of Caesarea Philippi. And it's this backdrop where Jesus starts to ask his disciples, who do you think I am? And so after an exchange uh, with his disciples, Peter answers correctly and he says, you are the son of God. And so Peter got it right. And Jesus begins to tell his disciples then that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to die. And he says, you're going to have to take up your cross if you want to follow me. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. You know, we see the cross today, and it's a symbol of reverence. It's a symbol of, of Jesus. It's a symbol of being a Christian. But back then, at that time, the cross was a symbol of execution. It would be the same, way, same thing as Jesus saying, you need to pick up your electric chair and be willing to set it next to me. So we ha you have to think of it that way before we think about the gravity of what Jesus was saying. And folks, it's at this point that the thousands started to tail off because Jesus had given them and started laying out the cost of what it would be to follow him. The price that we have to pay when we're willing to follow Jesus. So during these last nine months of Jesus' ministry, from this point to the point of his resurrection, there are, I think, six words that I can point out to you, I think, that perfectly describe the process that Jesus used to sanctify himself during that period. Paul says in Philippians that we should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and that we need to become like him in his death. 
And so knowing that, I think it's pretty important to pay attention uh, to these words. The first one is willingly. In the book of John, it says, no one, Jesus said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. We're to be like Jesus. We're to imitate Jesus. We're to walk as Jesus walked. And I'll ask you the same question. Are you willing to pick up your cross and follow him? The next word is intentionally. In the book of Luke, it says, When the days were coming to a close, to him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. See, Jesus knew what was waiting for him at that Passover. But you know, I was kind of thinking, there were a whole lot of ways that Jesus could have avoided this fate. I mean, he could have avoided Jerusalem. He, he could have just kind of bypassed Jerusalem and maybe celebrated the Passover somewhere else. He, he could have done that, but, but he didn't. You know, he could have kind of changed his message a little bit. So it's not just poking, you know, in the eyes of these Pharisees that had this lifestyle they didn't want to upset. He, he could have watered down his message a little bit. And he, and he would have been safe, but Jesus didn't do that. He could have returned home to Nazareth and kind of picked up where he left off and been a builder. There is, we know by history there was a lot of construction going on around there. And he could have just kind of melted back into the crowd and not suffered this fate that he did. He could have leveraged his power as the God of the universe to take out his enemies. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't choose those things. He only chose obedience to his Father's will, and he willingly obeyed God's call to go to Jerusalem and to die on the cross. The next word is lovingly. And our, this famous verse that probably most, most of us can recite, For God so loved the world in this way he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus' words. See, I think this means that Jesus did everything that he did out of reverence to the greatest commandment, to love. Jesus loves us. I have another question for you. This isn't something that I came up with. This is someone way smarter than me, a man by the name of Brennan Manning. And in a famous sermon, he asked this question, Do you believe that the creator of the universe... Do you believe that Christ Jesus loves you? Do you really believe when Jesus says that he loves you, that he loves you? And then a follow-up question is, does the life that you live reflect the fact that you believe that Jesus loves you? Does it look like you believe that that's the case? The next question, uh, word is courageously. In the book of Psalm, it says this, pointing towards the Messiah from the Old Testament, because of you we are slain all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. See, Jesus knew what he was facing, 
You know, in his humanity, though, I wonder as he was traveling, as he was making his way to Jerusalem, I wonder what the emotions were that he was going through. You know, the book of Hebrews says he was tempted like us in every way. And so I would kind of have to think that maybe there were a lot of things that he was feeling as he was making his way to Jerusalem. I wonder as those city walls started looking bigger as he got closer, if maybe dread sat in. If maybe anxiety set in. I don't doubt that that did, but Jesus, even so, boldly entered Jerusalem and accepted the fate of what was awaiting him. The next word we need to, to pay attention to is entrusted. The book of Luke, it says that Jesus on the cross called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And saying this, he breathed his last. See, Jesus put everything he had in God. Everything that he had in the Father. He always trusted in God's plan. You know, there are even times in the garden when he was saying, are you sure this is it? But Jesus trusted God and trusted his plan and acted perfectly. The next word is endured. In the book of Hebrews, it says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source, of our perfect, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. You know, there's challenges in our Christian life. You know, in today's world, we can't, you, you can't deny that we can be mocked. We can be ridiculed. We see that in the press every day. We can actually even be shamed for our faith. And you know, fear honestly keeps most of us from sharing what God's done for us and what he can do for other people. The word evangelism strikes terror in our minds sometimes. But it's nothing compared to what Jesus endured for our sake. And he calls us to live a life that looks like his. To walk as Jesus walked. Because he willingly, intentionally, lovingly, courageously endured the cross while entrusting God at every step of the way. He claimed he did this so we could be sanctified just like him. Folks, we can be like Jesus. He told us we're going to do the things that he did. He told us that we're going to do greater things than he did. Because he calls us to this process of being sanctified. And he calls us to invite that into other people, to pour ourselves into other people so that they can be sanctified. That's the example that he set for us. And it starts with us building a desire to pursue holiness. A desire to set ourselves apart for him. To willingly and intentionally and lovingly and courageously endure the things thrown at us in this crazy world that we live in and entrust ourselves to the creator of this universe, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Now, I know that word sanctify sounds kind of weighty, uh, but folks, I really do believe we're to seek 
purity and holiness in our lives. And it's only then that we'll be able to pour that and to duplicate ourselves in other people. Again, I'm not saying we can be perfect. We, we can't. But sanctification isn't an event. It's a process. And so that process, we're going to be perfected, but not on this side of eternity. When we go on, when we stand in front of Jesus, then our perfection is complete. But it starts right here on this earth. He gives us stuff to do. Isn't that cool? I mean, that knee, he's given us task. And so as I mentioned before, our, our mission is to help move people. And we want you to love God with all your heart. Love people like you love yourself. And we want to develop a culture here where we're making disciples that make disciples. You know, maybe you've been coming to church for your entire life. You know, as we've been going through this process, I've heard so many people say, how have I missed this for so long? You know, if you're interested, because we, we want to help develop people who want more. And if that's you, then we want to invest our time in you. And we want to help you do the same with other people. And we can, we can sit back and watch God's kingdom explode when that happens. Maybe you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ into your life. Boy, today's the perfect day. Every day. You know, isn't it amazing when God blesses us by opening our eyelids in the morning? We don't have that promise every day. And so if you haven't accepted Jesus today, I'm, I always make it a habit of standing up here. I'm going to do that again. I'd love to talk to you about your next step. If you want more, if you want to learn more about how we can, can move along on this journey and how we can, we can get in this process of duplication, this multiplication that God has planned for us, I'll be standing up here to talk to you about that as well. Or if you just have anything you want to pray about, if there's just something going on in your life and it's just it's something you can't, can't just kind of separate yourself from, I'll be right up here. I would love to pray with you and worship with you. But, you know, I get to end this service uh, in a neat way because in just a moment we're going to see uh, a life change we're going to see the the death and the burial and the resurrection of another soul into the kingdom of God I wish we could end all of our services like that and so but before we do that please consider the things that Christ is telling us please consider uh, what he's calling us to do. Seek purity. Seek sanctification. There's a lot of stuff in this world that throws us off from that. I mean, really, it's just the, the Lord loves to, the, the world loves to keep us busy and distract us. But you know, we can part kind of the clouds from all of that and we can look right into the face of Christ and say, I choose you. Would you all uh, share a blessing with me as we pray to end this service. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you sanctified yourself, that you purified yourself to show us that we can be sanctified and purified as well. God, your example is clear. Your life was abundance. Lord, we just, again, 
stand in awe of you. And I pray a very specific and special blessing on each and everyone who sits here this morning. That, Lord, you would move them to seek purity and holiness. That you would just instill in them a desire to know more about what it is that you ask us to do. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in each and every believer. And I pray that you would give us the desire to to utilize that as a tool for your sake. God, we just submit this day to you. We just submit ourselves to you in a mighty way. God, we love you. We offer our prayers in your son's holy name. Amen.